I'm Orion. With me is host Peter Willis. How's it going, Peter? I'm all right, Orion. I got a a question for you. Let's hear what's on your mind. You know, through several of these introductions now, we've been doing this for a while. It's always Orion and Peter Willis. Are you like trying to stay incognito on the internet or is it just your thing? Uh, No, I didn't. One time I made a stupid joke and you looked perplexedly at me. I think I said Orion Williams. And Peter Willis, no relation. No relation, that's right. Okay, no, they, you're every, right. Everyone's allowed to know my last name. It's cool. Yeah, look, look me up. If you want to look him up, he's at Orion Plays Music on uh, the tweets and the Instagrams and everything else. I, on the other hand, am much harder to find. You're the incognito one. I probably. I'm a mystery. Now nah, I'm on. I'm on just about every outlet you'd need to find me on, but in no two ways the same. I think. But look us up. We're out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we share that with you because uh, by now we're looking for uh, feedback of some sort. So if you've been listening this far, uh, we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts, your criticisms, your compliments, uh, especially your compliments. We love those. I prefer them, to be honest with you. I, the, the classic phrase that gets thrown around YouTube and all the other places is, you know, like, share, and subscribe. I, I, don't, even, uh, I don't even know if you find us on an outlet where you can do any of those things. Um, I suppose you could subscribe to us via some sort of uh, podcast streaming service. And they could like us conceptually. Absolutely. And, and the share, whether it's a formal like click and share this file or you call up a friend and go, hey, man, you got to check out this podcast, um, either because it's ridiculous or because you, you genuinely like what we're doing. I hope it's because you genuinely like what we're doing. Because yeah. on my end, I genuinely enjoy doing this. This is some of the best times I get to spend Absolutely. So uh, we appreciate you guys being here to listen to us at all. And uh, we're excited to get uh, further into the book of Romans tonight. We are in Romans chapter 7. And I don't know why I keep saying tonight. It's just this weird habit. But, you know, if it's 6 in the morning and you're listening or you're on the treadmill at 430 because I don't know why you would be. But if you were, uh, whenever it is, excuse the tonight. It just happens. Yeah, it's Tuesday night where we are at this moment. At this moment. Um, we'll break that habit of a nondescript time of year <laughs> yep it doesn't matter this stuff is timeless absolutely it's evergreen but romans chapter seven we we've done six episodes prior to this in romans uh i've said it before i'll say it again if you're picking us up for the first time uh this will be good romans seven is better than you think it is but uh you really should start with one through six uh, because it just it keeps building on itself like every other time, we're in Romans 7. I'm in the NIV. It works. That's what we're sticking with. We're going to roll with it. And uh, you can follow along in your version of choice. But we're going to be in the NIV. So Romans chapter 7 comes on the heels, obviously, of Romans chapter 6. And uh, Romans chapter 6, if, if it's been a while since you listened to it, or like I said, you just picked it up for the first time, and you're being rebellious and you refuse to go back and listen to the first six ahead of time, because... Let's be honest, that's how I'd be. That guy said to listen to the first six. Heck no, I'm going to evaluate everything off of chapter seven. Good starting point, though. <laughs> it's a place. I mean, it's good. It's so funny because... Uh, I start in the middle. Yeah. Why funny. not? I mean, so many people start reading the Bible for the first time with the book of John. It's well past the middle. I don't know why, but it was a church cliche thing I remember when I was younger of, oh, you're a new Christian? You don't know how to read the Bible? Start with the book of John. Chapter three, right? 
<laughs> one's, one's pretty good. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the uh, Word yeah. was God. And the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. It's good stuff, chapter good 1. Stuff. So, um, 6, Romans 6, Paul's talking about uh, being slaves to righteousness. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're now slaves to righteousness. It closes out with... Um, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And boom, Romans 7, verse 1. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. Before we go forward, that opening phrase, Do you not know, brothers and sisters? Remember that Paul's writing this to those who believe. He's not writing to non-Christians or non-believers or non-Jews or to people who have no reference or reconciliation with God whatsoever. He is writing to people who know the truth. And um, so it's really important if you're a believer or a follower or a disciple or whatever term you want to use, um, that you reference that Paul's talking to you here. He says, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And he says, for example, in verse 2, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband's still alive, she's an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. It's so easy to glance over this and go, oh yeah, but it's, it's right here, plain as day. He says, I'm going to use an example from the real world. A woman gets married to a man. She is bound to that man as her husband as long as he's alive. That's a covenant, the marriage covenant. Right. And so as long as we're alive, this mortal body, we're bound to the law. But mm. if her husband dies, he's dead, she can't be bound to a dead man. She's no longer bound to him. She's free to marry another person. In the same way, if we die with Christ, we are dead to the law and no longer bound to it and free to bind ourselves, in our case, to Christ. It says, but if she's still bound to her husband and she marries another, then she's an adulteress. And the same is true for us. If we try to remain in this mortal body, we try to still live in our flesh and live for Christ, we'll be good at neither of them. We'll make a mess of both. Because we were, uh, chapter 6 talked about it, crucified or dead with Christ. We've, we've put to death our sin nature. We've put to death our mortal body. And we've been risen again with him into this new life. We get to be dead to the law. It no longer has any authority or power or anything over us. We're not married to it anymore. Isn't it, isn't it an interesting analogy, though? Because it does use that real-world marriage example. But then in this case... This would be like if the bride or the wife died and then was raised again. Which so like the analogy kind of breaks from the physical comparison here because this is not the law that died. It's us. It's it's us, yeah. yeah. And and only because we raised again spiritually with Christ. 
that we can serve another. Yeah, there's a few ways you can look at this. For us, it's it's easier to identify with the masculine because we're guys. Unfortunately, but, for us guys, right? But uh, remembering <laughs> we are that the bride the, of Christ. Ah, there you go. That's what I was getting to. Remember that the word refers to us as the bride of Christ, and we're putting to death our sin nature. So it's almost like the bride actually killed her husband, not that he passed away or something. No. I, that got sideways Whoa. fast. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> no. Can she marry another dude if she kills her husband? Like, I don't even, don't please don't email me these questions because I don't have answers for you. Don't kill your husband. That's 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 that's, that's Bible right there. That's the law of the law and the law of Christ. And I'm pretty sure, unless you live in some really weird third world third world country. It's the law of the land, sure. too. Third world countries be like, hey, watch kill it all there. the husbands you want. I don't, I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> I, never mind. That got awful fast. So back to verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to, once, to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. It's right here on the surface. It's plain and simple. The law no longer has any power over us. I don't care what anybody tells you. I don't care what you've read or thought you read or heard. The law has no more power. It's been fulfilled in Christ in us. It's done. The law required a sacrifice for our sins. We got a sacrifice that we continue to get to participate in because that sacrifice is still living. Done. Done. The law, the loop is closed on the law. Instead of coming back and starting over at the beginning every time, it's ended. Mm-hmm. It's finished. It's completed. I try to avoid the use, use the word ended because people get worked up about it. Yeah. It wasn't that it was ended, although on the cross, Christ did say it, it is, is finished. Oh, yeah, finished. finished. It's kind of like ended. Yeah. We're going to leave it with finished because that's what he said. Verse 7. I, I love this phrase, and it comes up all the time in Romans, and I just get excited about it because I, I know it happens so much. He goes, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Well, certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every type of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law... But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Oh, man. This gets... mm, Wordy's the safe word. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. Paul says, the law itself is not sinful. What the law did is it pointed me... It pointed out my sin to me. He goes... I wouldn't have known what coveting was or wouldn't have had the... I'm going to get it wrong. For I would have not known what coveting really was. I wanted to get that mm. really in there because it's there. If the law hadn't said, 
you shall not covet. He doesn't flat out say, I never would have been a coveter had the law not told me to covet. He just says, I wouldn't have known what it really was had it not been said to me, don't do this. But as soon as it said, don't do it, well, then I coveted everywhere I turned. Hmm. That's all all he could manage to do, pretty much. He goes, it produced in me every kind of coveting. The law said, don't commit adultery. Well, I found out I was committing adultery everywhere. Well, (laughs) sounds a little extreme, unless you reference uh, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus goes, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And we're people who like concrete rules. We love them. And so they're much easier to follow than abstract, loosely defined rules. Truth. And so when Jesus says, don't commit adultery, you go, I've never had sexual relations with someone who wasn't my wife. I mean, I made out with a few chicks and, you know, I hold hands with a lot of girls and I write them love letters and stuff, but I haven't slept with them. So I have not committed adultery. And that's where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount goes, you've missed the point. Mm -hmm. You look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Like, you have to understand that this wasn't just about the letter of the law. And that's where Paul's going, is he's going, the letter of the law just pointed out how much of a lawbreaker I really was. And we want to get so focused on the letter of the law that says, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never put someone to death. And that's why Jesus came along and went, you're missing the point. Don't even step in that direction. Don't even hate someone. Hate's an ugly, ugly thing. It's an ugly word. Why would you get there? Because everybody who's been murdered, the murderer had some sort of hate for them. Don't even start down the path. Don't even start down the road. And so Paul goes, the law itself wasn't sin. What the law did is it started me on the road. Or it pointed out to me how far along the road I already was. Sure. That's probably the best. Yeah, there you go. So, um, uh, but, so yeah, at 8, he says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. It's an important delineation here because it's really easy to start to read some of this stuff and go, well, the law made him a sinner. Kind of, though. Ah, but he's trying to be really specific I don't here. mean that the law made him sin, no. obviously. I just mean right. that the law defined him as a sinner. Okay, yeah, and I'm glad you separated that way because I realized what I said could sound like that. But that's just it. Is the law pointed out to him his sin. We sin. That's why that passage says uh, that we read is the wages of sin is death. Sin is what earns us death, not the law. Mm-hmm. The law is just to point out how sinful we are. And, and Paul's been building this from way back in chapter 1, where he started listing off these sins. And chapter 2, where he gets into judgmentalism. And chapter 3, where he goes, nobody's righteous. He's just trying to draw this big box around our sin and go, here's what it is. Here's why you need Jesus. In Compute, computing hardware, computer hardware development uh, and manufacture. When they're doing testing for new chips, you know, Intel, mm-hmm. example, uh, you know, they're making these. I've heard of these people. Yeah, they make ultra-fast 
goodies that make uh, lots of calculations that let us play video games and check the weather from our phones and cool things. Watches are even smart now. But they have these rooms that they work in called clean rooms. And the lights are on very bright and no dust allowed. Positive air pressure, right, uh, to keep uh, things out? I, I, I believe that's, that's true, yes. Okay. And the, the point of them is to make sure that there's no contaminants. But because of the cleanliness of these rooms, like the literal cleanliness of this room, it makes it very easy to spot when there is contamination. Ah, this is a good analogy. Law, it took me a minute to figure out where you were going. The, uh, usually going somewhere. I, I'm glad one <laughs> of us is. <laughs> the law is a, is a uh, an ancient clean room. I like that. I'm leave it to me to bring up a computer. Analogy. Just so you know, I'm going to use that in the future as it was my own. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> All the best ideas are stolen. I'll try to give you credit for it. I really will. Because most of the places I speak, you're at. So you can stand up and go, wait, that was mine. Hey, wait a minute. Which would be awkward for Hands probably on hips. both of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm offended. No. So yeah, the law, that's so good, Ryan, that The law is this ultimate clean room that points out how just filthy we are. So verse 11 again. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. Remember that the wages of sin is death. Verse 13. Nope. nope. Sorry, verse 12. My fault. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So the, the, the commandment in itself inherently is not evil. We produce evil in our rebellion from the commandment. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Well, by no means, he says. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good, referring to the law, to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Mm. This phrase is so good. um, That sin might become utterly sinful. We want to think, and the clean room analogy, I'm going to draw back into this, because we want to think that our little white lie isn't that big of a sin. It shouldn't. God doesn't really condemn good people to hell, does he? Well, chapter 3 told us no one's good. But, you know, I may have like told a little white lie, but it was to protect somebody's feelings. But that's all I've ever done. But lined up in that clean room, you know, Orion talked about that clean manufacturing room. If you had a couple of specks of dust, they would stand out. They would be obvious to the whole room because the room is so clean and the contrast of it. And that's that piece of that sin might become utterly sinful so that you can see that no matter how much dirt there is, it's dirt. It doesn't say that sin might become icky or... Mildly uncomfortable. Yeah. It it says utterly sinful, like wretched, filth, vile nastiness. That's what what the expanded version would read, I'm pretty sure. The, like, like the... Like the Living Bible. Amplified. That's the one I was looking for. I don't own an Amplified, but I think I could write it. Uh, Or the message, maybe? I don't know. Um... One of those, I, whichever one of your abridged or expanded versions of choice, 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's where it's getting at. Verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I, Paul says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And we covered this a little bit in chapter 6 of you're going to serve something, whether it's uh, sin or, um, or righteousness or Christ. You, you don't get to not, um, to not serve somebody. We want to think that we're independent, we're... Um, I'm trying to think of the right word. The whole uh, masters of our own domain idea, you know, this is cliche that uh, we are somehow, yeah, like you said, independent of anybody else. We we stand alone when we want to, you know. We we allow others into the circle or whatever, and you know, no man is an island, but we want to be islands anyway. We want to think that we have some sort of control. We're... I, I, I am the master of my domain. I am the king of my castle. castle yeah. I am. I run this ship. This life is Captain mine to ship. run. Yeah. And the truth of the Bible says, no, no, you're going to serve something. Whether you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Whether you're <clears throat> serving your sinful nature or you're serving Christ. There's no middle ground. You don't get to do both and you don't get to do neither. You're going to do something. And that's where that, uh, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And verse 15 and forward, Paul's going to give a great example of this. And I love this passage in scripture. And it's going to get wordy, but stick with it because it's so good. And I got to believe you see yourself in here. Verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. He says, if I do things that are violation of the law, and those are things I don't want to do, then I agree that the law is the good thing I should want to be doing. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Man, this is the story of my life right here. Verse 20. Now, If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, if you're sitting here listening to this, and this is the first time you've heard this passage in Romans chapter 7, and you are under the adult age, you still are a kid or a teenager living at home with your parents, please do not throw this at your parents the next time you get in trouble for doing something dumb. Go, oh, no, it wasn't me. It was my sinful nature in me. I wanted to do good, but I couldn't do it. Paul couldn't do it either, mom or dad. Trust me, your parents are not going to fall for that excuse. It's not going to work. And odds are your smart mouth is going to get you in even more trouble. Because the law, which we agree is good here, says, honor your mother and father. Sorry, you lose. But I, I wish the excuse before God... And judgment would be this easy. Oh, no, no, no. I wanted to do good, Lord. Just like Paul. You, you liked Paul. You remember him? But I couldn't. My sinful nature just kept making me do bad things. We're good, right? The answer is no. Because our salvation doesn't come through what we do. Chapter 3 and 4 of Romans. 
It's by our faith in Christ. That's where our salvation comes from. Paul's just reiterating how much we miss the mark. The law wasn't even a great mark to hit. It wasn't perfect because it required sacrifice time and time and time and time again because we couldn't obey the law. We can't. It's right here. I want to. He says, my heart, my desire is to do what is good. But this law plays out in my life if I keep on doing the opposite. The thing, the very thing I don't want to do. This I keep on doing, he says. Verse 21. So I find this law at work. This law, not the law, but I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. From in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. That's a lot of laws right there, I got to say. It gets a little dizzy. Yeah, you can you can dice that up if you want, but that is that's just a lot of like what, as a younger Christian reading this, I wasn't sure that all of these weren't just referring to the law that we just went over, but that's not the case, right? It's not, and I wish I get why they didn't do it. I wish that the writers of Scripture anywhere that the word law is used or the translators in this case, uh, to the English, anywhere the word law is used referencing the Levitical law, the law of Moses, if you will, that they would have used a capital L. Mm -hmm. It would have been easy then to go, oh, that's the law they're talking about. Instead of in this case where Paul's talking about the law of sin and death in his life, the law that plays true of he wants to do good, but he can't. The law that we are sinful people, law, 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 (laughs) law, law. And somewhere in there he's also talking about the The big L law. And so, yeah, it does get a little wordy. So the laws that he's referring to is kind of like in our case where we have the law of gravity. We have Newton's laws of, nope, motion? That's not Newton. Newton is physics. Okay. But, uh, it's, but yeah, Newtonian physics. And okay. Apparently they change once you get outside of the atmosphere or something. But they're still pretty close to work with, but then you have the to math factor gets a little fuzzy. relativity and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. E equals MC squared. I, I you know got it. You know the whole thing. I know it's energy uh, equals matter times the speed of light squared. Mass, I believe. Mass? Mass times mass. the speed You're of light. You're right. Mass, not matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I'm 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 barely a Bible scholar. I'm certainly not a math wizard by any means. Uh, we were having a discussion, Orion and I, just casually earlier about math. Uh, uh, my Christian studies degree requires a math class. It's pastor math. It's I I took this many people to this place. How many people do I need to bring back? Or um, you know. The light bill for the church is X. How much do I need to pay the light bill? It's X, just in case you were wondering. It's it's pretty simple math. It's not really complicated. There are very few pastors who are dealing with algorithms or cosines or any of that other stuff. But we got a lot of law in place here. So that's what we're we're dealing with. For in my inner being, verse 22, I delight in God's law. Big L. But I see another little L law at work in me, waging war against the little L law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the little L law of sin at work within me. 
And I love verse 24 and 25 that close out this chapter. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Depending on your version you're reading, there's an exclamation point at the end of there. He goes, ah, I want to do all this good and I can't do it. And I don't want to do this evil and I keep doing all of that. And I want to delight in God's law. But the truth is, is the only law I follow is the law that says I'm just an ugly, filthy sinner. And he goes, what a wretched man I am. And he follows it with, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And I love that he closes out this chapter this way. And he's going to resolve most of this in chapter 8. So newsflash, you're going to have to come back again. But I love that he closes with this. He goes, in my mind, my thinking process, I'm a slave to God's law. I want, I desire, I think to do the things that are good and are pleasing to God. But the rest of me, my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. I'm going to sin. My nature is going to violate my mind over and over and over and over again. And he goes, what's the way out of this? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to chapter 6. We have to die. We have to identify with the crucifixion of Christ. We have to participate in death. So that these laws no longer apply to us. The beginning of chapter 7. Just as a woman is bound to her husband until he dies. We are bound to these laws until we put ourselves to death. I don't mean literally. I mean figuratively in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then we can be resurrected again in him to a new life. It's like he said uh, to the guy who came to him late at night. You must be born again. You have to be born differently than you were. Our birth has to be in Christ, who is without sin, exempt, free from it. It's the only way we get to be exempt and free from it is because we are bound to the law of sin and death. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely to me. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I I think you did fantastic there. And so uh, as we wrap up chapter 7, I hope you see, as we've seen in previous chapters, that Paul's drawing something out to a conclusion. Romans chapter 1 was all about how bad people are. And then Romans chapter 2 goes, if you think people are bad, you're bad too. And by midway through chapter 3, he goes, nobody's good. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks after God. In the end of chapter 3, he goes, but here's the good news. Our righteousness is not through what we do. It's through faith. And you go, baloney. And he goes, look at chapter 4. Do you see this guy Abraham? This guy Abraham. And everybody goes, oh, I know who Abraham is. He's the, the father of the faith. He's, he's the origination of the covenant with God. And Paul goes, before the covenant was ever a thing, Abraham was credited as righteous because he believed God. And so Paul goes, if it's true for him, then it's got to be true for you. Because Abraham came before the law. So if his righteousness came apart from the law, then all of our righteousness must be able to come apart from the law. And so chapter 5 goes, So because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus. And then 6, he goes, That's why you've got to die with them. 
so that you can be resurrected again. And chapter 7 goes, because if you don't die, you're still bound by this law of sin and death. And then next next time in chapter 8, we're going to get into what that means. And it basically means, uh, chapter 8 opens with, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the news continues to get really good from there. Look forward to having you guys there. Can't wait to talk to you again. Have a great day.